Welcome to another episode of The Fadeaway. He is Dion Thomas. I am Eric Schmidt, and I feel like we need to get some sound effects or something at the start of these things. We need like that big air horn or something. What, what can we do to get people's attention here? Yeah, well, we can play the chant, man. Get that doom, doom, Get the Illini chant going. But I don't know. That might not be politically correct. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> copyright issues. We'll just call it copyright issues. Uh, and it, I don't know, maybe some radio highlights of your career or, you know, Andy Kaufman hitting shots against Iowa. You know, you get some excitement. Right? That one would be great. We need people. We need everybody, all of our friends here to get excited. All right. Anyway. As if we're not enough to get excited, I guess. Um, hey, as always, thanks to Painless Networking, the Painless Podcast Network, and Chris Hartwig. If you're someone who's in the sports world or you aspire to work in it, get connected with Painless Networking on social media or at www.painless.network. And, you know, Dion, they had their holiday party recently. I missed it. So did I. Yeah, I hate missing parties. Happy Camper on Wall Street in Chicago was nice enough to host that group, and it was free. Again, I can't believe I missed the free party. And uh, Free is always good. Kind of free. And here's the cool part. All attendees were asked to make a donation through the event, actually, which went to Children's Home and Aid, which is an organization that does really cool things in Chicago, especially during the holidays, if you're interested in them. Check them out. And I'm going to tell you a holiday party, though, that I'm not missing, and neither are you, my friend. Already held to it. <laughs> nice. On the calendar, right? Yes, sir. All right. The Suburban Illini Clubs event on January 25th at Mullins in Lyle. And we're going to be there because we're going to record an episode of The Fadeaway there. Are you ready for that? That's oh. kind of like live podcasts. Like, there's no editing in that one. We're well, going. Well, you know what? I'm you, I'm kind of used to doing things live, so we're okay. <laughs> you are. I, and I am, t- I guess, I don't know. What am I talking about? We're all ex- ex- anxious about this. There's no anxiety for us. Uh, there will be some fun line, I guess, there for us to grill. Jay Lehman, Jerry Hester, Robert Archibald, among others. And I'm thinking uh, we turn the mic over to our listeners that evening. Let's see what questions they want to ask some of these line eye greats. I think that'll be kind of fun. That will definitely be fun. And you know, Dion, we're going to let them ask you questions too. You're aware. I have no problem with that. I'm with it. I love the questions. You know, I'm like Coach Henson told me one time. Remember, in our first interview, you can ask me any question you want, but I already know what answer I'm going to give. <laughs> What's the question you get asked most often? We'll get it out of the way here. You know, and far too often is Bruce Pearl stuff, man. And I'm so tired of talking about that dude. <laughs> so if you're coming to this event, don't ask any Bruce Pearl stuff. There's plenty of information out there floating around in the archives. Visit www.suburbanalini.org for tickets and more info for that event. That's a lot of housekeeping this week. Sorry, we're through it. Let's get to why you are joining us today. Today we are joined by Ed Molitor who formerly coached college basketball, currently coaches a different breed, executives nowadays. Ed grew up in Palatine and played basketball for his father, Ed Sr., before moving on to Creighton and St. Ambrose. After college, Ed was an assistant at Lewis University, Texas A&M, DePaul, Northern Illinois, and Harper College. Currently, Ed is a leadership trainer, performance consultant, and keynote speaker. Ed, I'm curious to find out who the more difficult person is to coach, a college kid or a CEO? <laughs> <laughs> very, great answer. Very, yeah. Great yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. Way, to, great way question. to put me on the spot We're going right, right into it here. Oh, We're going right into it. Ed, thanks for joining yeah. us. This is going to be a lot of fun. I know uh, I, I know well, you. Well, I'll tell you this. Okay, so <laughs> if I was if I was still coaching college basketball, I would say the CEO. Now, since I'm, <laughs> I'm an executive coach, I'll say definitely the, uh, the high school and college athletes. <laughs> Uh, no, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of similarities. There are. I mean, it, when it all comes down to it. So, um, 
man, I didn't see that one. Uh, but that's why you got into this, because there are a lot of similarities. Yeah. And you've been able to move and, and kind of transition from one career to the next seamlessly because you saw a need and you saw all of that kind of synergy. There, there's absolutely no question. And that's one of the, the things nowadays that folks, they, they lose the point of athletics, what it teaches these young kids about life mm-hmm. and um, equipping them with tools that they can use. I mean, we can go on and on. Oh, yeah. We've talked about this over lunch. I mean, we've had our three-hour lunches talking about this. And, and um, it, it, you know, when I developed the brand, the athletics of business, the whole concept was the leadership mindset that the same skills, traits, and behaviors that make elite athletes and championship teams so successful are the very same ones that can make you uh, a success in business and in life. And the lessons, I mean, you can go to commitment, you can go to work ethic, but really you start talking about the mindset and you start talking about mental toughness and self-discipline and enthusiasm and passion, you know, and, and attitude, um, being a great teammate, being selfless, being a part of something bigger than yourself. And when you when you really look at it and you look in the corporate world, and I learned that lesson the hard way. I had always heard it. I was raised that way. But um, in 1998, I was assistant coach at Texas A&M. I was 28 years old. Now, you got to remember, before I went to Texas A&M, I was living across the street from Wrigley Field. I was working at Lewis University. Life was pretty good, pretty innocent. Just recruit, coach, you know, and just... That's it. Hang and uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. Hey, living, living across, like, living across hey, from and, hey, and yeah. make sure you sell Innocent? the parking spot on Saturdays. All <laughs> right. That was your funds for the weekend. <laughs> but um, but no. So when I was 28, we, our head coach was what they call reassigned. He was basically fired and as an assistant coach. It's not a matter of, you know, if you're gone, it's how fast can you get out of the office? Right. And I didn't know. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something where I I, I Felt like I had some sort of control over my destination and my success. And I, I really, for a 28-year-old who had done as much as I had to that age, I was still relatively immature. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I thought people would really care if I got out of coaching as a third assistant 28-year-old. You know, it was, right. you know, it was the old bucket, the, you know, hand in the water bucket. You know, as soon as I pulled it out, and everyone forgot about me. But I went back to <laughs> Chicago. And I got in the mortgage industry, and um, it was during the refi boom. It was great, um, and everybody was hustling. There was a lot of money to be made. Um, I was missing something. I really was. And what I realized was, you know, my my why when I coached was to make a positive impact on young men's lives, mm-hmm. okay? When I got into the mortgage business, I lost complete focus of what my why was, and I just started, I started acting like a lot of other people in the industry. And like any industry, there's there's the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, right. however you want to word it. And it's I when I finally turned the corner and started to realize success was when I went back to what made me successful as a coach and what made me successful as an athlete and what made the people that I grew up idolizing and trying to model myself after, whether they be coaches or players, what made them successful. And that's what it was. I mean, it was a core intangibles. And it was um, developing relationships, being authentic, um, the work ethic, being the first at the office, the last to leave, being sincere. You know, when, you, when you're focused on something and, and setting goals, and that's the big thing. But when you, when you chase those goals, when you chase those metrics, not losing touch of your core values and who you are and, and your vision and what you stand for. And I absolutely did. I mean, I, I compromised who I was. And I don't mean in like a legal way or an unethical way. I mean, I just didn't stay true to what made me successful before. And that's when I started to really see that. And as my career went on, um, I spent before I launched uh, the business, I spent six and a half years in uh, recruiting. And we were placing former exiting retired military and jobs throughout the country. And my last three there was as vice president of operations. And it's when I really 
fell in love with the whole concept of the athletics of business because here you are and the biggest thing we sold to organizations uh, to companies when we were trying to develop relationships with them was the core intangibles that the military provide and all of a sudden I just started seeing all these correlations and things really came to fruition and and you know you talk to hundreds of people a week and the ones that you move forward and the ones you sold to your clients the most were the ones who had those intangibles. I want to, you said something really interesting, I think, to me, especially when we're talking about all of the issues with college basketball and the FBI, and you said your why was to have a positive impact on the, on the kids that you were coaching, and you, you talked about the integrity that you brought to the table. I, I mean, this is a good question for both of you guys, I think. I mean, that, I think that separated you guys, um, a coach that was interested in that, in my opinion, but what do you guys think? about some of your competition, other guys you were dealing with on the recruiting trail. I mean, is every, how many coaches are really in it for that? Well, I mean, that's a great question. And you're right. I stepped away because I was not going to put my family on hold or do some of the things that, you know, I guess people feel that you have to be, to do in order to be successful in this. So, but there's a lot of guys that are clean, but there's a lot of guys that are, you know, that, that are putting their souls and selling their souls uh, to what this is about. You and I have had this conversation, Eric, on, on multiple occasions, and you and I, Ed, have had the same um, conversation. So, Absolutely. You know, it, it goes back to what Ed said. What's your why? I got into basketball to help young men grow, to teach them how to become men, and to teach them how to be productive after basketball was over. That's not what college basketball really is about. You know, a lot of the people lose focus because your job is depending on how many games you win, that's also depending on how many players you get or what players you get or how highly ranked that player is. And all of those things just did not uh, jive with, with who I was. So I, you're right. I, I had to step away. And, you know, and it, like I said, you and I have had these conversations. We about have. It. Yeah. And, and the thing is, and Dion, you said it, you have to. My question always is when guys get into the business for the right reasons, there becomes a fear of staying in the business. And mm-hmm. at what point do you walk away? At what point do you just keep doing things? Because there's some great people in the business. Yes, I mean, there we is. talked about. There's some amazing yes, coaches. Is. I mean, I have some uh, very dear friends that are doing things the right way for the right reasons. And they take a lot of pride. And, yeah, they want to win games. And we, we all compete. Right. You know, we, we all want to get after and We all want to win. But we also want our kids to get diplomas. Yep. You know, and we also want our kids to be prepared. Um for life after, I mean, the game ain't going to, you know, we're not all as, as fortunate as you, Dion. I'm talking, <laughs> no, and I mean that in, in the best way possible. Like you made the most of what you had. Yes. You really did. And you realize it. And you said this to me, our first conversation, we sat down for lunch. You sat down, you knew there was a time that the game would come to an end in your playing wise. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's, that's the trick. I mean, do you compromise who you are? Because everything is going to go away. You know, I mean, every, the people that are your best friends, the, the, the boosters that are your best friends, the fans that are your best friends, even, I'll be honest, I saw some people in my inner circle change their approach to me when, you know, you can't, you know, don't have the connections to get them tickets to this or tickets to that, or it, it, it's the way it is. And you, the better you can, the, the better you are, are true to yourself and honest with yourself. And I, I think the game's at a breaking point right now. I think there's, yeah. it, it's... It's never going to be what it once was, but it can't stay the way it is right now. It can't. And they have to make a decision. And coaches, and here's the problem. We can sit here and say, and Dion, you know this better than I do, we can sit here and say the coaches have to rally around each other to take a stand. 
It ain't going to happen now. No way. No. Because they're going to watch those. It's going to go Jerry Maguire. They're going to watch those guys that take a stand, and they're just waiting for him to fall so they can move into that slot. Yep. Okay. But that's it. I mean, that's and that's and I'll tell you what. When you feel about better about who you are and what you do, and you know you're doing things the right way for the right reason, you're going to be more successful, and you're going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be more in tune with it. I agree. Hey, well, we're talking about the why. How did your father? who, you know, you and I have talked about him, I know how important he was, form who you are, which helped develop your why? I, you know, it's a great question, and um, you know the answer to that. So, no, it's, 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 it's an awesome question. I yeah, I know. So here, here, here's, here's the bottom line. I was blessed. I was blessed because really my two mentors, my two heroes, and the people that I can model were my mother and father. And, mm-hmm. and it's hard because not everybody gets to say that. I was even more blessed because I realized it. Um, You know, and my dad started at DePaul Academy um, in 1968, I believe it was, working for Bill Gleason. And and he was very intentional. You know, he went to to college as a pre-med, wanted to be a doctor, and was watching the um, public Catholic League championship on TV at Chicago Stadium. And saw DePaul Academy playing. He was a junior in college, I think he said. And he, he called my grandpa into the room and said, Dad, I've changed my mind. This is what I want to do, and that's the man I want to work for. Mm-hmm. So my dad was always very intentional about his career, and he he really bought into the mental mindset, the mental toughness aspect when he spoke at a clinic at Fenwick with Gene Sullivan. And Gene Sullivan at the time, I believe, was still an assistant at Notre Dame. And now I cannot believe, um, I'm going to draw a blank on the book he wrote, but uh, basically, Coach Sullivan's big thing was that basketball is a frame of mind game. So my dad instilled in me that athletics is a microcosm of life. Basketball is a frame of mind game. And that's when everything really started clicking. But the thing about my dad was no one was going to outwork him. No one was going to outprepare him. And he was never going to change the way he did things to appease parents or administrators. Now, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a rebel. I almost said a word I'm not sure I'm supposed to say. So, you know, he wasn't going to do things just to ruffle feathers. He wasn't doing things to, you know, make people's lives miserable and happy. But he he was demanding, and he held you accountable. And he held you accountable if you're the first player in the team or the fifth, 15th player in the team. And he believed that everybody had a role. And, you know, he believed that it all came down to your foundation, which for him was a man-to-man defense and, and basketball IQ you know, time and score and, and taking care of the basketball and, and the value of the basketball. But he absolutely, and, and to be honest with you, he made it hard on me in the sense that whoever I played for or coached with, mm. I compared him, you know, and I was, I was immature. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do a very good job of it sometimes, but he, he is, he was the biggest impact on the whole mindset. Um, and he, he basically, he didn't worry about wins and losses. He believed they were going to be a byproduct of doing things the right way. And his big thing was having an impact on the kids. He loved, he had a, they had a tradition at Maris, had a tradition at Palatine when he was coaching that at Christmas time, all the guys would come home. And as a player, you dreaded it. I mean, you absolutely dreaded it. Okay. Cause first of all, the guys were out too late the night before. So they were all miserable to start with. And they had been waiting. I mean, you wait, when you go through the Palatine program, you waited for that day. You got to come home at Christmas and just do whatever you wanted to, to the current varsity team. But then to sit around and listen to them talk afterwards. And they literally will tell you to this day, I relationships of guys that are much older than me that's what they attribute it to and that really you know and dean i think i answered your question um in a roundabout way but that had the biggest impact on my wife 
No, I think you, you answered it perfectly. Uh, you followed the examples of your dad. You followed the example of the people that were around your dad and how they lived their life. And I think those, you know, we call those things today mentors. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of kids today, and, you know, I talk about kids all the time because this is basketball, Illinois, and life, don't have enough mentors or don't have the right mentors. No. Who are, besides your dad and, and Coach Gene or some other people that, um, or even authors of books that you've read that help form, you know, where you are and what you're thinking, your mindset today? I'm asking because I want to pick up those same books. Yeah, right? I'm trying well, to get there. Yeah, that's <laughs> in his paper, right? Yeah, I sure do. I know, he does. Does. We've <laughs> talked books since the minute I walked in the store, which is which is awesome. Um, well, my second mentor that really helped me was my was my mom. Um, you know, she started out. She's from the South Side. And she started out as a nurse, and it was the old days where why don't you just stay home and get pregnant and be a mother like you're supposed to? Why are you going? And then um, she realized she was capable more, so she went back to UIC. Or she went back and got her undergrad, then went to UIC and got her master's degree in business and started her own medical billing practice. And long story short, her had this amazing career that came to fruition with her being the director of women's health at Prentice. And the reason I mention this is because I I believe relationships are at the root of everything. Oh, yeah. You know, I absolutely do. And through my mom, watching her the way she treated nurses was the same way she would treat um, a brain surgeon when she was director of the Department of Surgery at Northwestern. Okay. And, you know, my mom is... Ben, if she listens to this, she'll be upset, but she's been through a little bit of a health battle the last 14 years. And I would go visit her in the hospital. And I'm going to tell you what, that 23, 24 year old, 25 year old nurse would come in and talk to my mom and they would just sit there and talk to my mom. And that's, that's really, you know, she was a huge mentor of that. And then in terms of books, I, I mean, as you know, I, I love to read, yes. but I'll tell you the most recent book I've read on leadership actually it's not the most recent, but it's the one that hit the biggest home run with me, um, is legacy about the All Blacks. I think I talked to you about that, about the uh, Australian football club, Rugby to Us. It's an incredible book. And really, it it, it put everything that I teach, everything that I work with clients on, it put it all into a perspective that I really loved because it came from a competitive perspective. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an academic book, so to speak, but it could teach the academicians something, if that makes sense. I mean, it it, it made it very real and it was very authentic. And I love that book. And in the first book, when I really started to see a correlation between coaching and business was my senior year in college. And I was in a class corporate leadership, second semester. And a second semester senior, the last thing you're thinking about is actually reading a book. And um, my professor handed me, Floyd Begin, handed me uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And I, it just hit me. It resonated with me. And it was, you know, you know and I, I remember two books I, I read in college. Okay, actually three. Forever's Team, about uh, the Duke team when Bill Foster was a head coach. Showtime by Pat Riley and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I should have known then that I was, this were, was going to work you, out. Were you quizzed or tested on any one of those? Probably not. Right? Showtime I might have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was Christmas break. It was my freshman year of Christmas that's, break. That's, that's yeah. amazing. That, yeah. I mean, those are books that you weren't assigned for an English class or anything like All that. Right. You still, But those are the things that you remember from, yeah. from college. Yeah. You know, you, Ed, you mentioned how hard it is, or you, you mentioned the consistency. You know, you mentioned it with your dad being the same for whether you're the star player or the 15th guy and everybody has a role. You just mentioned the same thing with your mom about how she would treat the patient the same as the brain surgeon. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I coach my son in baseball, and it's hard. It's hard to take the kid who's the very best and treat him 
one way, and then you've got your kids at the bottom that you feel like you have to motivate or treat differently, treat differently, not motivate. How hard is it? How do you get into that mindset to say, you know what, I, I'm going to do this and I'm going to discipline myself to do it? I think it's hard. Two, it is. And two things you said, consistency is huge because yes. consistency is a leader. Then people know what to expect from mm-hmm. you and they know what to expect from you in times of adversity or when you realize it's success. So you actually stay the course and keep your head. Okay. Now in terms of treating number one differently than number 15, you, you do have to. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's, there's a couple ways to look at it. And I'm not saying you give preferential treatment to number one as opposed to number 15, but each person on an individual basis, there's something different that makes them tick. There's right. something different that makes them go. They have different strengths, okay? They have different fears. They have different stories. They have different circumstances. So you do have to have the ability. And I think the biggest thing in terms of organizationally, whether it be a team or a business, is you have to find a way to get them to buy in. And the way you do that is by finding a way to have them attach emotion and a personal investment into your mission or your goals, whatever that is. But the big thing for me in relationships is go where the people are, you know, get to know them. You know, when you talk to them, uh, it's, it's the old seek to understand instead of being understood, you know, and that is Stephen Covey, but it's also a lot of other folks, you know, and, and it is, it's huge. And you've got to, just because someone can't um, handle the ball, and play defense on a Division One point guard doesn't mean his worth as a person and his future and his career. You know, I mean, I have I have a, a teammate from college I haven't talked to in years, but I ran into him back at, a, at when they opened up. I think it's now CenturyLink in Omaha, mm-hmm. and they they whatever there was a Quest Center back then. And when they first opened it up, they brought all living players back, and he was a very quiet, unassuming person. Okay, very happy to be part of the team, and he's now a brain surgeon. Okay, so every single person has value. And here's the thing the most successful leaders and most successful coaches don't just make number 15 feel special or feel that like they're valued they know they're special and they know they're unique mm-hmm. and, and it is hard so what you know your son's baseball team what will make this a successful game for bobby who's you know batting in the cleanup spot and we'll, you know for jimmy who's going to maybe get two at bats what's going to make it successful for them and memorable and create moments for them is going to be two different things and it's our job you know here's a big thing let's talk about the pink elephant room millennials Okay, everyone sits here. No, and I mean this. Everyone sits here and bashes these poor millennials. Now, I yeah. shouldn't say poor. Everyone bashes millennials. It's it's a two way street. Okay, but here's the thing: as leaders, mm-hmm. and this speaks to what you're asking, it's our job to consistently figure out how to lead them instead of complain. You know, this is one of the things. I have a good friend who is the athletic director at Wabanzi, uh Community College, uh, Kevin Best, great guy. And his big thing with his coaches and his athletes is this. I don't want you to bring me a problem. Just bring me the solution. You know, and I think our thing as leaders is we have to come up with a solution. So I like the but I like the point about being genuine too, because that can be people can see through that as well. And mm-hmm. it, that kind of gets to the I, I worked in healthcare for a little bit and we had a hospital president that literally would go through the hospital and say hi to everybody, whether you're the janitor or the brain surgeon or whatever. And he was genuine about it. And yep. he and he didn't talk about it to everybody. He didn't mm-hmm. brag about it. But it was something that everybody else on the staff saw and followed. And it created, you know, it was a hospital that was having a lot of issues at the time that by the time he left two years later was one of the top hospitals in the system. And that's part of it. But it's it's hard. People, I don't know, for some reason can't get out of a mindset that they, they should be able to do that. 
Well, no, I, I, that has to be done because people have to connect. You mentioned relationships. Relationships are key in everything that you do because we're not here only to serve ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're, we're here and we were put here on this earth. Everyone's always looking at, well, why am I here? I'm here to make your life better. So if I make your life better, in turn, my life is better. So if everyone is there serving together the way we're supposed to serve together, this is a great thing about being on a team. This is the reason why I told my daughters they had to play team sports right. is because you understand that you're not one. You're not singular. You're pieces of a puzzle is always the analogy I use. None of the puzzles are none of the puzzle pieces are the same because if they're the same, they don't fit together. So they're all different. Now you have to take all of those pieces, put them together, and form this beautiful picture. And I think that's what people miss out on. Part of being genuine is being who you are. What piece am I? Am I the crooked piece that sits in the corner, or am I the one that sits square in the middle? Regardless if I'm the one in the corner or the one in the middle, I'm equally as important because if I don't fit, the picture is not as pretty. And that's one of the things that doing what you do especially going around now training CEOs or training um, the leadership of CEOs to get them to understand everybody's different and we have to fit them together. Well, and that, you just hit on something. You know, I do a lot at each level of a business. I mean, I, I train customer service. I train entry-level sales, middle management, EVPs, um, what have you. I was... I was um, in Kansas City two weeks ago and working with an unbelievable organization, uh, Ivanta Pharmaceutical Group. And I spent the morning working with their leadership team. And then I spent an hour in the afternoon talking to uh, people who take the the orders, who, you know, fill the orders, technicians, pharmacists. And they work... um, with with senior citizen homes, uh, retirement homes, nursing homes, okay, long I should say long term care homes, okay, and one of the things we talked about, you talk to the leadership team, okay, about valuing their people, but then you go talk to their people about valuing the people on the other end of the phone taking taking the order, okay, and that's where it all it all comes down to realizing that no matter what your role is, you have to figure out how you are a part of something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. And you are, regardless of your role, you are going to have an impact. So if you don't do the best job of becoming the best version of yourself, in other words, you know, working towards your potential, you're cheating someone. You're cheating a teammate, okay? Or you're cheating a customer, or you're cheating a client. So. Yeah, that's, and again, making everybody feel valued. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, and that's something that a lot of people won't, and that's great that that company's making that investment in the lower levels as well, too. That's key. I mean, is this what it, the athletics of business is? This is this is what you're doing as a consultant now or, or for your, your leadership. Um, is that what it is? Tell, tell us more well, about it. So I believe everything is driven by the process, okay? I mean, character drives the process, which drives results, okay? But I believe that your behavior skills drive your job skills. And when I say behavior skills, I'm talking about thought management. I'm talking about decision-making, okay? Um, Positivity, positive energy. Positive energy is a huge thing. You know, positive energy goes back to culture. Culture is such a big thing. And 
as a leader, you drive the culture by your behavior. It's just like a team's a direct reflection of their head coach. Oh, yeah. And that's the way it is. And and you can sit there and say, no, they're they're big boys. They can figure it out on their own. No, they're going to marry you. You know, you, you set the boundaries for what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And are you setting the boundaries for massive success the right way being acceptable? Um, we talk about, you know, you talk about commitment. You talk about communication. Um, so you'll go in and you'll work on people's, you know, what they're trying to get better at. You know, it was funny. I almost said something and I caught myself because we were sitting here earlier joking about we spend so much time worrying about our weaknesses when really what we need to be doing is leveraging up our strengths, which is also something that we work with clients, both organizationally and individually. So, you know, and, and part of the thing we do is what I call performance consulting. And that is how do we react to cir- circumstances? How do we, and I shouldn't say, how do we respond? Okay, we don't want to be reactive, but how do we respond? And it's the, the Jack Canfield, E plus R equals O. And what are we going to do? Adversity hits, failure hurts. Are we going to grow through it or are we just going to get through it? You know, so many times, and you know this, in the dog days of the season, man, we just got to get through these five games. Yeah. How about we get better? How about we figure out how we can improve and we can grow through these five games? You know, you're going through, uh, I, I have a saying that I love, run to the fight. You know, you're dealing with adversity. You can run and hide all you want. But if you don't run to the fight and deal with it, it's just going to fester and it's going to get worse. And, you know, I work with a lot of clients on that. And it's a lot of, and limiting behaviors and limiting self-beliefs. And you see that in kids these days so much in athletics. And you also see it, you guys would be shocked at the things that hold back some people in corporate America. It's, you know, no joking aside, all joking aside, that's why there are a lot of similarities between talking to athletes and talking to business leaders because they're very similar fears just on a whole different scale. You you actually were touched on what my next question to you was. Dealing with players. I'm good like that. Dealing with players, dealing with CEOs. What is the most difficult thing for them that that's what's stopping them from achieving the next step? I won't say achieving greatness, but just achieving the next step. I would say honestly self-limiting beliefs and self-limiting behaviors. Fear. Yeah. And lack of lack of self-discipline, mm-hmm. uh, lack of sustained effort, both mental and physical. And I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying they're weak. I am saying they could get uh, stronger and tougher um, in the head. And here's the thing. People, <laughs> people confuse mental toughness and happiness. They, they think they, they, they're mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. You know, you look at the word self-discipline. If I walked into, uh, say, a call center right now, and there's 40 people sitting at their desk, and I scream at the top of my lungs, you people want to have more self-discipline. They would cringe, okay? Because people think self-discipline is a cuss word, all right? It's way more than four letters, but they think it's a cuss word. But truth be told, you think about it, especially, I mean, you really think about it. Self-discipline leads to Mm self-control, which leads to self-confidence. And that's, isn't that what we all want? We all want a little more swag. We all, we all want to oh, yeah. walk a little bit more confident, speak a little bit more confidently, perform a little bit more confidently, whether it's our relationships, whether it's business, whether it's athletics. And then self-confidence leads to self-realization. Mm-hmm. And that's my whole thing. You know, if, if we if we weren't on the air podcast-wise right now, I would, I would tell you, but sometimes people ask me, what do you do? And the easiest answer for me is I just help people get, and it's really I help people help themselves get really freaking good at what they do. And that's the simplest way to put it because you can dial it in and people are scared of self-awareness too. You know, what do you do? I'm working on my self-awareness. Ooh, you know, self-awareness is a competitive advantage. People are going to try and figure you out. Why not try and figure yourself out? So there, there are a lot of similarities. 
And, and you just touched on another one. Man, you, you are good at that's this. Good Cause, I am. Cause that's what good I was going to ask you. People are always are looking outward. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's more important to look outward or inward? It's more important. It's it look inward. Okay. And that's what we do as a society. And that's why, you know, social media is a part of my life because of what I do mm-hmm. and, and because of the way you build a business. But, you know, in, in, it's so easy for people to look outward and get distracted by other people's false successes on, say, Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, which I've never done one day in my life. I don't even know how to work Snapchat. I just know things disappear, <laughs> which thing scares the heck out of me to my daughter's five I in one day. I have never used it. <laughs> yeah. You, you have it? I have it and Did never Did you just admit it. that? My daughters put it on my phone, and yeah. I have to make sure that I monitor what they're doing. And then I realize, just like you, you, you know, said, no. it disappears. No, you know what you ought so. to do? You ought to go take a selfie outside their classroom on Snapchat uh-huh. and then scare the bejesus out of them that you're standing outside their door but then you just go ghost you just leave I might have to do that one these days but I'm sorry I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off now your daughters will never talk to me <laughs> um, no but 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 looking outward because what happens is there's a few things that happen um, you get a false sense of confidence okay you get a, a false sense of bravado or you get a false sense of feeling bad about yourself um, you don't uh, give yourself enough credit. You compare yourself to others. Um, you put yourself down. Um, negative self thoughts. And here's here's the bottom line. I talk a lot about time, energy, and attention management in some courses I do. Um, I have this course now, Plan Your Powerful Season, which is I love it. it doing it was a blast. Um, talking to people that are using it, going in and training people on it is an absolute blast. But one of the things I talk about is our attention management. We control our focus. It's all about what you can control. Is what it is, okay? Mm-hmm. And you can control looking inward and how you how you respond to things. But where we where we focus our attention is what's going to control our thoughts, and our thoughts are going to control our beliefs, and our beliefs will control our behaviors. Right. And it's those behaviors that are going to determine the level of success that that we have. And that all starts that all starts on the inside. And truth be told, then it goes back to what we were talking about with coaching. Being at peace with yourself is okay, and you can still be mm-hmm. you can still be as competitive. As heck and be ruthless. I mean, some of the nicest guys I know, like, let's take Coach Krzyzewski. He comes across as a very, um, he is, I mean, he is a very genuine person, very sincere person. He's a phenomenal leader. But I'll tell you what, I would not want to be in a fight with that man. (laughs) He will rip your heart out, you know? And um, it was interesting because I heard him speak in 1993. I was a young coach. We're in Vegas, which that was a disaster in itself. We're in Vegas at the Nike Clinic. And there was one person I was not going to miss. I was not going to miss Coach Krzyzewski. And and Cal was at UMass at the time. He was talking. Dean Smith was talking. Um, I mean, uh, I'll say some other names that people wouldn't um, Mm -hmm. probably recognize now, like Spoon, Coach Spoonhauer was talking. But I, I had to see Coach K. So I got up there, and I sat in the front row, and he gets up there, and they had just won the national. No. I don't know if that was a year. It was a year after the Christian Leitner shot, I think. But he got to goes, what's really neat about Bobby and Christian and, you know, all these females in the crowd are, like, leaning forward mm-hmm. and, like, they're, like, they're ready to write down, right? They're ready to write down. He goes, they're really, really, really good kids and good people. But they will rip your effing hearts out. <laughs> and it's like, that's when it hit me. Hey, it's okay. You can do both, you know. But no, with that being said, it's it's looking inward and you take care of it. You you can't lead others yeah. until you can lead yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the bottom line right there. And it's great that you said that because it reminded me as I'm sitting here of two two different points in my life, but that touch on two of those stories. When I was in high school at Semion, and my sophomore year is when I really started to to 
blow up, I guess, and get noticed. Junior year comes around. Coach Hambrick says, you know, when we're sitting in the lock, in the lunchroom. I have a paper in my hand. He walks up and he snatches the paper. And he says, don't read the newspaper. And so the, me and my teammates are sitting at the table, and we're like, why, Coach? You know, they, they're saying this, you know, they're saying this. Yeah. Or that. He's like, that's why you don't read the newspaper. He's like, there's one or two things that are going to come from you reading the newspaper. Three. He's like, either you're going to read what you, you're going to read the newspaper, they're going to have some good to say about you, and you're not going to work as hard. He was like, or you're going to read the newspaper, and they're going to say something bad about you. And it's going to negatively affect you, and you're still not going to work hard. He said, there's no positive coming from looking out there mm-hmm. or listening to what someone else has to say. You have to listen to yourself and know that when you're working, that you're working you know, to, to be better or to be the best. Now, that's not word for word, but that's verbatim right. how I took it. So it's great that you mentioned looking inside. Because I don't believe any problem, especially a personal problem, can be solved by looking outward. Right. You know, and my mom, well, she doesn't mind when I talk about her problem. But she has substance abuse problem. I was spending tons of money to try to help her overcome this. So years later, we're sitting and we have a conversation. And she was like, you know what? I would have stopped. I probably would have stopped sooner if you weren't giving me money and these different mm. things. She was like, the only way I was able to stop. I was able to stop. It was because I was ready to stop. Mm-hmm. In effect, you know, looking inside and just really nailing and saying, hey, okay, this is it for me. This is where I got to start to move on. So that was a great point that you made. And the second one, I, I, and you two may disagree, but I think I'm a really nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hurt your arm. Jeez. I think I'm a really nice guy. But one of my favorite pictures. Your arms are so long, you can hug yourself twice. <laughs> what, one of my favorite pictures is... They're, they're, I forgot. I think we were playing Michigan, and I'm walking out on the court with the blue. Uh, it's on my Facebook page with the blue Illinois jersey on with Illinois cross. And I got the meanest look on my face mm. ever. So once I'm sitting with my daughter, and my daughter was like, "Dad, why do you look so mean?" I was like, "Cause that's the way when I stepped inside that 94 foot rectangle, mm-hmm. it was business." There was no friends. I didn't have friends. I would, if the guys were my friends, I always tell them, I'm your friend before the game, I'm your friend after the game. During the game, you catching elbows and you catching everything else because it goes back to what you said. You can be the nicest guy in the world, but when it's time to go to work or it's time where I consider, I tell my daughters this, and I may sound like a, an ogre, when you're in the game, it's war. Mm-hmm. You know, When you're in your business or, or whatever it is, you're at war with the other companies. So you have to make sure that, yeah, I can be a great guy. But when it's time to get to work, it's time to get to work. Well, and, and you just said it. And that's why, now I'm going to say something. I can't wait to see your response. That's why it annoys me. And this might make me an old man, one of many things that make me an old man. But when these kids nowadays hug each other before they play each other on the court, before they jump oh. ball, AU, oh, 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 oh. okay, and they sit there and act like best friends and they'll help each yeah. other. I, hey. You know what? I mean, I'm all for being a good sportsmanship, but here's the thing. You got one team the night of a game, yes. okay? It's just like it's just like in the business world. It's just like whatever profession, you know, we can get away from it. It's like in the medical. Hey, I'll tell you this right now. I want that guy who, whose ever table I'm laying on to do open heart surgery on me, I want him to be competitive, okay? I want him to be, I want him to be mean, and I want him to be focused, too. I want him to be able to compete. You know, I don't want him to be busy, you know, you know, worrying about what people are thinking of him, what people are saying. Does mm-hmm. everybody like me? Are we cool? Are we cool? Come on, just 
It's about getting after things. I think they're taking, but they're taking your lessons on relationship building there. I mean, we talked about this with Paul Shirley last week. You know, they, I mean, they have brands, and you never know when you're going to be on another guy's teams. And I'm, and I'm being a little yep. sarcastic no, about but it. No, but it's right. the I way it is. They're thinking yeah. about that too. Is yeah. it's it's a brand, and and sometimes the brand is more important than team for some people. And I think that's another lesson that you can sometimes impart too, right? But I, I think people, and for me, and I agree, and I don't disagree with what Paul said, but. If I want you on on my team, I, I don't want the guy that was nice to me on the other teams, mm-hmm. right? You know, I I want somebody that when I go to war, when I go to work, when I go to a you game, you want the guy you hated I, playing against, yep. exactly, Absolutely. Yep. exactly, yep. because I know what he's going to be doing in order to win or get ahead against other people. I don't want the guy, and I tell my <laughs> daughter, and, and my daughter makes her, she makes fun of her teammates about this because. You know, they'll see kids fall down on the court during the basketball game, and her teammates will go over and pick them up off the floor. She's like, "That I hate when they do that." Mm. You know, not being mean or anything, mm. but you were, you, you know, you have to make sure at that point in time that you're focused on, like you said, there's one team that night. Right. We all got on the same color jerseys, has the same lettering across the front. So this is what we're doing. But you know. I, I don't want. I don't want to. You know, I'm bringing over the guy. I'm bringing over Mike Poplowski. <laughs> yeah. And for those that don't wow, remember, Mike Poplowski, wow. awesome name, right? Oh, wow. yeah. And yeah. for those that don't know who Mike Poplowski is, you know, we got some millennials that listen to us. He was a the ogre for Michigan State. They used to just beat on me. Those were good guys. Every single great guys. Yeah. Oh, your boy, guess. yes, yeah. Big Master Ginga was on that team yeah. too. Yeah. So yeah. you know, just. That's that's so that's what I want. Well, I'm think sorry. about it. How many how many times, though, honestly, did you say? I mean, did you say? You know, I can't stand it, but I I take him on our team. Oh I, yes. I take him on our side. Oh yeah. It reminds me of something that you told me a while ago, dear. I said, would you rather have people fear you or love you? And you said, I want them to fear how much they love me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, that's wow. a quote from that's wow. a quote from The Office, right the TV down, show The Office. Yeah, wow. I love that. I have that on, that I have that on a Twitter good, feed. Though. I love that. Yeah. I was I was actually yeah. going to own up and take yeah. that one too, just because uh, yeah. it sounded really good. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> no. That is a good one. And what's the? I mean, when you you try to teach people to look inward, and that is a hard thing to do. What's what's maybe some of the tactics you use to try to teach that? Well, as a coach, as a coach, I. I don't try to get them somewhere. They're going to get themselves there. It's all about the subconscious. The whole key to everything, if you really want to take the next step, is is to make the subconscious conscious. Because in, until we do, it's going to rule our life, and we'll call it fate. So you want to pull out of your subconscious what's there. You, we all have the answers, mm-hmm. you know. And I love it when you know I'll get it. One of my clients say, "Well, what do I need you for?" Well, because apparently what you're doing is not working real well right now. So we're gonna get we're gonna get there. We're gonna you know, and what's really cool about it is as you know, one of my coaching packages. It's a full year package, and you get to really take the journey with the person. And as you see them grow, and, and there's sometimes it's very uncomfortable. There's sometimes it's unreal. You know, mm-hmm. very it just the light bulb goes on and things are clicking. But it's about asking the questions at the you know the right questions at the right way at the right time and that's the big thing with communication is 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 timing and as a coach you know it's my responsibility to you to really be engaged and listen to exactly what you're saying not just the words that are coming out but watching your body language you know listening to your inflection and finding a way to get you to get to the answer and and when people start to have small victories and really start to realize some success doing that, the floodgates open. And some get there quicker than others, you know, mm-hmm. and some don't. And it's, you know, it's a little bit like as a coach, 
you put your players in practice in challenging situations, in difficult situations, uh, maybe things they're not comfortable doing. But you do that not to be mean, which most parents think why you're doing it today, but not to be mean, but to give them that self, excuse me, that sense of self confidence that yeah, you know what, I can do this. And you know you're successful as a coach, executive coach, business coach, whatever term you want to use. When at the end of your time together, your client doesn't need you, you know, or not as often. Or they call back and say, they'll tell you a big win they had. Hey, you know, I was in this situation that we worked on seven months ago, and here's how I reacted to it. Here's how I responded to it. And and that's what's really cool. So the key is to to get them to get themselves where they need to be to have small victories. To, to get out of their own way. Yeah, to get out of your own way. That's... Man, I try to do that every day. I still trip myself. Oh, don't we all? Yeah. But that's the that's the, the but you realize that's why we beautifully yeah, yeah, we're exactly thank imperfect. you. <laughs> I try to tell my wife that all the time. It doesn't work out real well. Yeah. Honey, at least I realize I'm being a jerk. Yeah, I know I didn't fold the laundry, but okay, so I didn't have to throw it back on the floor. I thought it was dirty. Sorry. No, but yeah, and that is a big thing, though. I mean, it is. You realize it. Yeah. That I mean, that's always hard to get people to get out of their own way. Yeah. And I think part of that is because we become comfortable in, in who we are and we become comfortable in our setting. So when things make us uncomfortable, I heard a quote one time, it says, get, get comfortable with being uncomfortable in order to reach greatness. We, most people are not good at being uncomfortable and including me. I'm not going to lie. Everybody likes to be in their place. So when you're dealing with, and you say, he asked, why do I need you? Most people don't want to be there. How do you get people to really bust through that wall? I mean, like you said, no, you, like great, you, say, you let them do it. It's but. a great question. And it's, it's a great question. And, and, you know, people will do it on their own when the, when the pain of change is no longer greater than the pain of failure. Okay. That's when people will really do it on their own. And if they didn't, then they're in for a bad ride. Okay. But how do I, I, how do, I do it? I, I can only present what's out there. I can only present the positives and and what it means to, to go back to what you're talking about is stretch your comfort zone, mm-hmm. expand your comfort zone. And to do that, you have to get outside. And for some people, it's just the first conversation we have. And then the second conversation, you know, there's a thing called the law of diminishing intent. And what I try to do, though, is when I have conversations with folks, whether it's organizations or individuals, is get them to take action after a couple conversations. Because what's going to happen is, and there's a saying in business, time kills all deals. And that's the same with yourself, the deal with yourself, you know, giving yourself permission to, to become better and to achieve massive success. And it does start with expanding the comfort zone. And, and I firmly believe, and Dion, we've talked about, about this how you do anything is how you do everything. Yes. And it, it, you can just take the little things and you can take it from any perspective you want when you talk about children, whether you're talking about, I mean, the way you treat your spouse or the way you treat friends. You know, in recruiting, what was one of the first things you looked at with the player? Honest, honest goodness, I know you're going to say the same thing I'm thinking. What's one of the first things you looked at? Well, for, how hard they work. I, I want to see you work it every day. Okay. How about how they treated their mothers? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Well, not just their mothers. You know, one of the things mm. that I would do when I would go out and recruit, I, I wouldn't go and talk to the principal. I wouldn't go and talk to the coach first. I, I'll talk to the people that worked in the hallway, you know, the security. Well, here in Chicago, you got a lot of security in the school. I'd go and I'd talk to those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how, how does he, when he's just, like you said, how you treat your mother, how do you, he just treat the other people that he feel are yeah. beneath him? Yeah. You know, and, and you're right. How does he treat the women in his life? 
you know, so some nowadays it's it's a it's a bad thing to be a mama's boy. I want my daughter's husband to be a mama's boy because if he respects and he treats his mom the right way, what's right. he going to do to my daughter? Absolutely. So I agree with you 100% on that. Yeah, and, 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 and back to, to your questions, I just thought of something, Dion, you just triggered something in my head. Back to your question about how you get people to that point to realize that it's okay and it is for them. Here's the thing. In the old days in terms of coaching and leadership development, people thought it was like, oh, I must be really struggling. I must be bad. What I see a lot of now is working with high potential people. Even if you are struggling, there's high potential. There's a reason your organization wants you to get a coach, okay? Or as an individual, um, you know, being true to yourself and trying to become the best version of yourself and investing in yourself. That's the big thing, you know, and that's the trick is how are you going to invest in yourself? And I'm not just talking monetarily. I'm talking emotionally. I'm talking time-wise. You spend all this time trying to make other people better. What are you, you going to do about you? And when you have those conversations with people and you just show them the results and the positives, they they figure it out. And it might not be the right time. They might really dig it, but it might not be the right time. And it's funny to me, working with these big organizations, when they don't make numbers and they don't hit their metrics and they're really struggling and they've got individuals that are struggling, but the revenue isn't where it needs to be, what's the first cost-cutting measure that they take? It's... Personal development. Personal right? development, right? I mean, first thing. Yeah. I just find it kind of ironic. And, and if you want to look at it from a numbers perspective, and that's the thing you got to figure out what makes people tick, which we always talk about, the ROA, the return on the investment is, you know, if you look in the mortgage industry, if someone works with the coach or goes through a program and actually takes action, that's the key, takes action, okay? Because vision without action, all right, is a dream, and action mm-hmm. without vision is a nightmare. If you take action, that... You know, they're going to close deals that they wouldn't have closed before. They're going to respond to things that they wouldn't have responded to. They're going to persist. They're going to be resilient. Um, They're going to show more grit. They're going to be able to solve their own problems. They're going to be able to rely. They'll be more self-reliable, self-dependable. They will get that return on their investment tenfold. What's your favorite type of client to work with? The one who wants it. Yeah, honestly, the one who wants it. The one who understands that they can, that they're committed um, that they find uh, a reason why they can't be good as opposed to the reasons why they can't be good. Um, that I want clients that aren't afraid to go through the struggles. Because it's going to be, even if, you, even if you're hitting numbers right now and you're doing really well and you want to get better, mm-hmm. you're still going to have struggles. And you're still going to be uncomfortable. I want clients that, that are willing to do that and are willing to be committed and have a passion for growing. You know, not just, oh, man, I, I know I need this. Let's just do this. Let's just see what can happen. I don't want that. I don't want that player on my team. I don't want that surgeon performing surgery on me. Right. You know, I want someone who's committed, has positive energy, um, wants to learn. And when I say that, I'm not talking about me teaching them. I'm talking about them teaching themselves in a coaching setting. And then the ones that if I have an hour with them and their team in an organizational setting, I love the people because you're not going to hit everybody. Everybody's not. If I can get to two, three, four people. Okay, based on the size of, of, of the audience, obviously. But if you get to a certain number that I really buy into the fact that they can be better and they can do things, um, then those are the type of people I love to work with. And ones that get engaged, you know. And you always got to be a little bit cautious of the people who have all the answers. I like people who have a lot of questions. Mm. There you go. Those are the smart people. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, it's funny because I got to be, I, I have to be careful sometimes because I love asking questions. Mm-hmm. And someone's like, man, I think he's dumb because he all he does is ask questions. <laughs> but see, that's another person's shortcoming. I, I love my, my grandmother used to always say the dumbest person in the world is a person that thinks they know everything. Mm-hmm. You know, so you should always ask questions. So no, that, that actually makes you pretty smart, my yeah. friend. All right. Well, good. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to give you Nancy's cell phone number. Can you share Man, that information? That, that doesn't work. That's like me telling you to talk to my mm. wife. That doesn't oh, work. She knows. Well, she likes you, but that doesn't work. I mean, they, they never think that we are as good as we are. But we just keep telling them, though. Yeah, we, can, we gonna keep <laughs> one telling of, them. Hey, one of these days they're going to listen to us. <laughs> huh? Honey, did you know? Uh well, it's always good when it comes from other people, though. So third, I, I, third, I, third party endorsement, my friend. Yes, yes. <laughs> can never have enough of those. No, you cannot. So people wanted to figure out and make, get in contact with you to learn from you. What, what, what do we have to do? Okay, first thing you can do is go to the website, themolitorgroup.com. That's M-O-L-I-T-O-R group.com, but put the in front of it. If you don't put the in front of it, you're going to get some financial advisors. So you don't want those. You want um, <laughs> you, you want me. No, there you go. You want uh, you. After I, we get you, then you go to the financial advisor. That's right, because you want to know what to do with all that money. Yeah. Best person yeah. you are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, make sure to say I referred you. <laughs> and uh, no, there are no, and it's no relationship. But anyway, uh, also follow us on Twitter. At the Molitor Group, we I share a lot of stuff. That's another thing about my space that I, I I don't like when people think that they have all the answers and all they put out there is their stuff. Mm-hmm. I love to share stuff, and I'll tell you, there's some you know Buzz Williams put some great stuff out, um, Sweeney put some. I mean, but I'll share the John Gordons. I'll share. I mean, I'll but I'll go across all spectrums. I'll go complete non-athletics, you know. Um, but you know, follow us at the Molitor Group. You know, put comments on there, put posts on there. Um, Facebook page is the Molitor Group uh, as well. We have our own Facebook page, the Molitor Group, and my personal uh, Facebook page is Ed Molitor. And you will see my awesome, ugly, well, it was ugly sweater party, but it was a jacket that I wore. It was straight up out of uh, the movie Christmas Vacation. Was it really? It was fabulous. It was great. Okay, now nineteen ninety nine at Walmart. But so the Molitor Group, <laughs> the Group dot com website at the Molitor Group Twitter and the Molitor Group Facebook page, and soon to becoming Instagram. Got to figure that out. What are the types of people that want to reach out? Industries, types of people. Who who do you want? Who who can benefit most? Okay, so here's the thing. People always ask me, "What's your target industry?" And I don't have a target industry. I have a target mindset. Okay, mm-hmm. and so really, anyone who wants to get better at what they do, um, and it can be it can be on a personal level, it can be on a business level, because really, when you look when you look at the majority of business problems are actually personal problems. And that's just the way it is. The majority of athletic problems are personal problems. So, and, and people who want to take a journey, you know, it's not about me. It's about you. And it's about what we can do to get you from where you are to where you want to be. And uh, if, if you really want to do it with the passion and have fun, and that's the big thing. Let's have fun. You know, at some oh, point, yeah. you really got to, if you have fun with what you're doing every single day, and you can dial in, you're never working a day in your life. Okay? So, those are the type of folks. Well, my friend... My mentor, oh my boy. buddy. That's a big responsibility. Oh, it, it truly is. I, I, and I don't throw that out there for everyone. But, you know, I got different mentors in different areas. And this one that, you know, personal growth is huge for me. And, and I value your friendship. And, you know, I thank you for joining Eric and I on the show and allowing us to be able to, you know, allow you to put your message out there and, and, and how much you could help people. 
Um, because without, you know, our friendship, you've helped me and I appreciate it. Well, thank you. That, that, that means a lot. And I mean, we've had some great conversations, yes, you know, you've have. helped me and it's, it's always good to go back with an old school fellow where you can smile, but then still talk about the things that, that matter. Yes. That's awesome. Thanks for joining us, Ed. This is fantastic. Again, themolitorgroup.com is where you're going to find more information. And on social media, uh, coming right after that Instagram, I think Deanne's going to show you how to use Snapchat. <laughs> no, don't, don't taint me with that. <laughs> he doesn't even know how to use Snapchat. So. Well, and speaking of social media, please give us a like, too, on Facebook. And, and all these, these links will be on, are, are on your description, so you can look at your phone and, and get the links right there. Uh, but for us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and subscribe to these podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you are listening to us, we'd love for you to rate and review us as well on those sites because it certainly helps others to find us. Uh, Thanks for camping out in the post with us today from Dion and Ed and myself. We'll meet you down low on the next fadeaway. Swish.